what is God like? I mean, assuming he exists, what is God like? When you have a relationship with someone, over time you collect this catalog of experiences and whether consciously or not, that catalog formulates your opinion or perspective of that person. When someone asks you, what is your friend like? I suppose you could describe that person like, oh, Joe is a person of integrity. Sarah is sweet and straightforward. And those descriptions are helpful. But if you really want to emphasize what is true about a person, you tell a story about them or several, and then it becomes really clear. The Bible is a story about God. God the Father, Jesus, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and it reveals to us what he is like. So we've started in one of the books of the Bible called Luke, and we find that this is a, a collection of eyewitness accounts, not just describing what God is like, but recounting stories to show us what God is like so that it becomes ever more clear. Hey, I know the tendency I can have to make God in my own image or make him what I want him to be. And wouldn't it be sad to reject God or be indifferent to God or to respond to him uh, in a way that doesn't reflect who he truly is? And Luke is really going to help us here as we dive into his gospel and his stories. He's going to help us know what God is really like. Let's look at the first one, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So this is a story of an old priest and his wife. And as we walk through it and get to the end, I'm not going to massacre the story by talking about, hey, here's the five things you need to know that we learn from the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, sort of like explaining the punchline to a joke. No, I'll act like a guide. Along the way, I'll point out some things. But I think it will become pretty clear the destination that Luke is taking us to. It begins in the days of Herod, king of Judea. I've always loved stories that are based on true life. Judea was a real place. Herod, we know historically, was a real king. This is not Disney. This is based on real life. Zechariah was of the division of Abijah. He's a priest, and his wife is Elizabeth, who is from the line of Aaron, who was the, the high priest. These are real people, and they could trace their lineage all the way back into the Old Testament. It tells us that they were both righteous before God. That's so beautiful when a husband and wife together are in sync to be passionate, to, to follow God and be true to his ways. It's so sad when, when a couple, one of them wants to pursue God and the other doesn't. It creates such tension in a relationship and it's not what God intends. They were both righteous before God and it says they were blameless. Now, I don't think this means that they were perfect, but it's like Job. When you looked at their life, it was like, wow, they are following God so meticulously. And, and hey, if they were in your church, they would no doubt be a couple in, that you'd want to be part of your leadership. They are blameless. You know, I think sometimes in, in our own lives, people can look at us and, and they can command a number of things in our lives. But sometimes there are these, there's these exceptions, you know, the, the yeah, but there's this in their life or, or that in their life. And it's not quite right. Not so with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Their lives were exemplary blameless. If there was any but in their life, it was this, verse 7, but they had no child. Now, if Zachariah and Elizabeth were like any couple when they first got married, I'm sure they had all kind of dreams about this is what the relationship is going to be like, and this is the kind of family that they're going to raise. 
I don't know how they processed year after year, but I'm sure they had to walk through this growing disappointment and not a growing family. The scripture says because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. It's good to be advanced in some things, like advanced in education, that's great. Advanced in technology, that's great. But to be advanced in years when you've hoped to have a child, well, that's hopeless. That's a dead dream. Have you ever experienced that? A dead dream. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because you think when you live righteous, things should go well for you, shouldn't they? Live right, things go right. Isn't that how it should work? I think sometimes, whether we do it intentionally or not, we convey that to come to Christ, to do that, everything all of a sudden in your life is going to be fixed and made right. And hey, without a doubt, I think life and everything is better with Jesus. We become new people. We, our relationships are different. Our perspectives are different, always for the better. But it does not mean that our circumstances will be absent of difficulty and trouble. And it's when we have those difficulties that we begin to question God, don't we? I mean, sometimes we have these questions about God because we've been intellectually challenged. But I think more often than not, we have a question with God and about him when our circumstances are perplexing. Maybe you're in that place right now. Well, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are old. They're advanced in years. They have no child. And here's what happens. Verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty... According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Aside from the yearly festivals that took place in Judaism, the priest would serve two weeks a year, one week at a time in the temple. There was all kinds of duties to be done. And maybe, just maybe, once in your lifetime, you would be chosen to burn the incense before the Holy of Holies. They chose lots for this, and this time it was Zechariah, his turn. So a group of people are outside praying in the temple area when Zechariah goes in to do his duty, and then it happens. Verse 11, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah sees an angel. and I can't say in my lifetime I've ever seen an angel. I mean, I've experienced things in my life where, that were pretty not natural, and I thought, I wonder if an angel was involved in that situation, but I think in North America, we typically, we don't think or speak about angels all that much, but they are a continual reality in Scripture. There's this whole supernatural world that exists while we live in our natural world, and in that world, there's these angels, and we're told in Hebrews chapter 1 that they are ministering spirits sent to serve on our behalf. And here in this story with Zechariah and Elizabeth, an angel is sent by God to bring his message to Zechariah. And it says, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I guess. I mean, this is a, an angelic appearance. And just think, though, this is not God. This is just one of his messengers. And every time somebody comes into a presence of an angel, it's like their first response is fear. And yet this is just a messenger of God. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, we got to stop in the middle of the, the angel's announcement here because I don't know if you caught that. What did the angel say to him? Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. 
Your prayer has been heard. Now think about it. We already know that they are advanced in age. And there's some uh, debate as to how old Zechariah really was. In Numbers chapter 4, it talks about some of the priests could only go up to age 50. But those were typically the ones that carried the, the tabernacle and, and the artifacts for it. Most people think Zechariah was like 60 plus. I mean, that's really old. And yet the angel says to him, your prayers have been heard. Do you think Elizabeth and Zechariah was still, was, were still praying? No way. And yet the angel says this to them, what's going on here? No doubt Elizabeth and Zechariah, as they experienced year after year of infertility and the pain of that and the shame in their community that that brought, no doubt they constantly brought that before God. But at some point in their life, you have to think, they stopped praying. They thought that ship has sailed. And yet the angel says to them, your prayer has been heard. In Psalm 141, verse 2, it says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. In the last book of the Bible, in Revelations chapter 5, John has this vision. He sees Jesus as the Lamb, and this is what he describes from that point. And he, Jesus, the Lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Did you get that picture? Isn't that amazing? It's like the prayers of God's people are are put into a bowl and their aroma is pleasing to God. But not only that, the angel can take that and cast its fire down to the earth. We need to think of our prayers are, you know, if they're not answered in the moment, they don't dissipate into nothing. Think of God collecting them and putting them in a bowl. They're a pleasing aroma to him and they're a vehicle whereby he answers and touches the earth. So I think of parents and grandparents who are praying for their kids on an ongoing basis. Don't give up. Your prayers are being collected. Nothing's wasted. I think of the Abbotsford prayer walk in which people were walking through the neighborhoods, praying for businesses and neighborhoods, family, friends, and uh, city services. That matters. It gets collected. It adds up. And in his proper time, God answers. No wonder we're told in Luke chapter 18 later when Luke writes about Jesus telling a parable, he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Look, I don't know what's going on in your life today. I think for many of us, these are very difficult times. But I want you to know this. What is God like? God is a God who sees us. And God is a God who hears prayers and actually wants us to bring our requests, to bring our burdens, to bring those things that trouble him, that trouble us, and bring them to him because he wants to do something about that. On our behalf. I so want you to know and to hear and have that experience where it is said to you, your prayer has been answered. Well, the angel goes on and he says this to John, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Imagine that angel's pronouncement washing over the years of Zechariah's disappointment. He will be great. 
You know, I think as you get older as a parent or grandparent, you start to take more joy, not in your own personal accomplishments, but in the accomplishments of your, of your children or in their children. You know, I used to be a young leader within the church and no longer. Now it's like I get great satisfaction and joy in watching some of our younger staff do well and succeed. The angel says there's going to be lots of people that are going to have joy from what's going to happen and transpire in your son. He goes on, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if you grasp what the angel is saying, but Israel has been in a place of 400 years of silence with no prophetic voice whatsoever, and now... Their son is going to come in the spirit of the prophet Elijah. Like, this is mind-boggling. This is like 400, it's been 400 years. You think how long a period of time that that is. Like, that's before the, the nation of Canada was ever birthed. That's before vehicles, before phones. That's, that's like, you can't even go back in your mind how far that is. This is such a historic moment. This is a shift and their son is going to be part of that. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Man, this is amazing. This is, this is really emphasizes what Luke has started his gospel in. In the first verse when he said this to us, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. That word accomplished means to complete, to fulfill, to fulfill fully. And the NIV translates it this way. Many have undertaken to drop an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. In other words, as we walk through this gospel of Luke, we're going to see in the story of God through the person of Jesus and especially through his death and resurrection that God is all about fulfilling the promises that he has foretold in the past. Malachi was the last voice of the Old Testament minor prophets. And here... The angel quotes that prophet. As Malachi said, Behold, I will send you an Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I don't know if you can see it, but what God is doing in the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth is so much more than just about themselves. And that's how it is, I think, in our lives. God is not just working in our lives, but there's a bigger story that he is writing of which we are but a part. Here God is meshing his love and his care for Zachariah and Elizabeth with his love and his care for his people, Israel, and for the world. That's what God is like. And Zachariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You know, sometimes when we've experienced uh, prolonged disappointment, it's really difficult to get up any sort of hope again because uh, we don't want to experience that pain of disappointment one more time. Maybe today you find yourself in a situation that is impossible. And I just want to say to you, if you're in relationship with God and God is part of your equation and you're submitted to him, don't discount a miracle. 
It seems so often in the story of God that God lets things get to the place where they seem so impossible before he acts, and then he does. We go on. In verse 19, it says, And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Hey, I've been privy sometimes to some really great news, like a couple will tell me that they're pregnant with child, but I can't tell anyone because they haven't told all their family yet. It's so difficult to stay quiet about it. Zachariah can't speak, literally. Because of his unbelief, the angel has pressed the mute button on his speech. I think this is something that Zachariah would never forget. This is not God's judgment, but it is God's discipline, a lesson to be learned. God's words are meant to be believed whether it's the voice and message of an angel or whether it's the message from God's word. At some point, we have to make a decision when it comes to God's word. Are these just like lifeless words written on a page that mean nothing? Or are they spirit-breathed, life-giving words spoken, written, sure, now printed and even digitalized, but God's word nonetheless, meant to be believed and then lived out? You see this throughout Luke's gospel. Even in chapter 4 in the life of Jesus, when Jesus is tempted in the desert, and his response to his temptations bring back his belief in the word of God as he responds, it is written, it is written, it is written. We see this further in Luke chapter 16 when Jesus tells this story, a parable of a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus is a man whose circumstances are anything but great. He's got sores in his body, probably because he can't sleep in a proper place at night. He's hungry. He needs food. And there's the rich man who, of course, is living like a rich person does. They both die, and then there's a reversal. An angel carries Lazarus to the side of Abraham. Meanwhile, the, the rich man is seen as in Hades and in torment. And this rich person, he can see from afar off the Lazarus and Abraham's side, and he cries out, hey, like, I, I want to come over there. But Abraham tells him, you, he had his chances, he, had, he made his choices in this life, and there's a great chasm that separates the two, and he cannot cross. So let's pick up the conversation from there. As the man says, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that, they, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Who is God and what is he like? We have it all here. Moses, prophets, and for us, we have the words of Jesus and the words of his followers. There are consequences to not believing God's word. It was temporal for Zechariah, but it's eternal for those who perpetually choose not to believe what God has said. God's word is true and will always prove to be true. As the angel says in verse 20, in their proper time. So whether it's in this life, as it will be for Zechariah and Elizabeth, or whether it's in the life to come, as it was for the poor man Lazarus, all our remaining difficulties and sorrows will be swallowed up in joy as we experience all the good that God has for us. 
You will never be disappointed when you put your trust in him. So we read on, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. So Zechariah goes home, unable to speak, but with a gleam in his eye. And we're told, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Pandemic, difficulty, disappointments. Hey, I don't know, you know what your story looks and feels like right now, but I do know this. There's a story writer who supersedes all that we're experiencing, and ultimately he will write that story for his glory and our good. What is God like? As Luke's begun to show us, he's sovereign and he's faithful. He's working in things that we can't see and in ways we can't imagine. He's got plans that are bigger than our own. He can be trusted. He can be counted on. So today, I just want to say, put your trust in him and live. Live faithfully. Live relentlessly. Live prayerfully. You will not be disappointed. I want to close today with just a prayer of expressing our trust in God, who I think in this story we see is so worthy of that trust. And if you've been watching today and, hey, you've never placed your faith and trust in God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then I invite you just to pray along with me for the first time and then communicate with us because we'd love to help you on that journey. And for the rest of us, I think this is a great time for us to say once again, God, we believe in you. Help us to live according to your ways. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that we are never beyond your watchful care and love. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to make a relationship with you possible, that you showed yourself faithful in sending your son who died for us and rose from the dead that our sins can be forgiven. Lord, we just want to say today, we trust you for our salvation and we place ourselves in your hands to be the, the guide and director of our lives. And Lord, would you help us to respond to your greatness in a way that shows that we love you and we want to live for you, for your glory and our good in Jesus' name. Amen.